stand now to honor the person and the work of Jesus as it's recorded for us in the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the second chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today is the story of the wise men. You can find wise men in nativities, and we sing, We Three Kings. But for what we know about the wise men, there's much we don't know. For instance, we know that there were three gifts they brought, but we don't know how many men there were. And in all likelihood, they weren't kings. And for what we do know from the biblical and Jewish perspective, they were certainly not wise. The only reference to these wise men, it comes from the the Greek translation of the book of Daniel, where they're lumped into the group of the the magicians, the sorcerers, and the soothsayers, not the scholars. They didn't participate in academic debates like Aristotle, Plato. They studied the stars to find hidden meanings in the constellations. They were not professors. They were accomplished fortune tellers. What was wise about them was was not their ability to understand academic concepts, but their ability to draw meaning from the stars They were astrologers, not astronomers. For what we don't know about the wise men or the magi, we do know this, that it was not their intellect or their learning that brought them to Jesus, but it was God revealing Christ to them even in their ignorance. A popular song to sing at Christmas time is, Mary, Did You Know?, 
And the epiphany, the, the day that the wise men arrived to Jesus as the church celebrates it, the epiphany re- remix of that song would be, wise men did you know? And the answer is, most certainly not. In our text, they arrive in Jerusalem to ask for directions. But the story of the Magi is one of how God reveals himself in unexpected ways to unexpected people. So the wise men wander into Jerusalem looking for the king. Can you imagine this scene? The wise men wander into, the, into Jerusalem asking to see a newborn king. And when King Herod hears about this, it says, the Bible says that King Herod and all of Jerusalem were troubled. They were all troubled because when Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. King Herod was known for two things, and the first was his magnificent building projects, and the second was his cruelty. Herod was a a savvy politician, an ambitious visionary, and, well, he was completely insane. Did you know that Israel doesn't have a natural harbor? So Herod built one, sinking a, a natu- or building a water break out into the Mediterranean Sea and building ports and all. Oh, and that was in first century BC. That beautiful temple that Jesus visited, well, that was thanks to Herod. Even around the Roman Empire, Herod was seen as a pretty great guy. He would generously sponsor and support different projects and even the Olympics. But if you lived on the inside of Judea, you knew the real Herod. If you lived under his rule, you were the one paying for all of his expensive building projects. And you were the one who knew that Herod does not take any questions to his authority. That he would quash any whiff of an insurrection. And that even Herod was paranoid to protect his own power. He would build hideouts and escapes in case things went wrong. And so these wise men come in to Jerusalem asking to see the new king. Well, they've got a lot to learn. And it's easy to see the, the, flaw, the fault in Herod. It's been passed down through history that even Caesar Augustus said that he would rather be Herod's pig than Herod's son. We know that he killed at least two of them himself. And you think, well, you know, if I had all that power, if I was given that much control over all of this land and all of these people, and and everything would go before, uh, I could do everything my way, well, certainly I would do a better job than Herod. Or maybe the idea is not so much control over and power over other people that you're looking for. I don't need to be the boss of anyone else. I just want to be the boss of me. Yet, isn't that the reality of sin? The desire to have more power, more control over your own life and your own things, to, to make life go your own way. And look at these magi. They come to worship the king. They come to worship Jesus. They come to bow down before them. The act of worshiping 
is submitting yourself to the authority of another. It's giving honor and respect to someone or something. Worship is placing someone or something in the highest position of significance in your life. And here are these magi wandering in from out of town, looking to worship Jesus. You have King Herod who would have nothing of it. He would go, later go on to, to murder all of the infants in that area in an effort to kill Jesus. And you have these magi looking to worship him, the baby. They asked the magi, they asked to worship the king of the Jews. Fifteen times this title is given to Jesus in the Gospels in the New Testament. But this is the only time when that title is used with respect. Jesus was born as the king of the Jews, but they already have King Herod. King Herod who rules with power and fear, and King Jesus who would be born in the meek and feeble state of a baby. You would have one king who would grow up, and yet King Jesus would be rejected by his own people, and the Roman soldiers would mock him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they would thrust on him a crown of thorns. You have one king with all power and control over Judea, yet he is absolutely paranoid and petrified of losing his own life. And you have another king who would give up his life on the cross for you. There's a certain irony in this day of Epiphany when God brings these magi to worship Jesus. They're the, the, the irony is that they're the last people you would expect. The, the, the magi, they come to Jerusalem to ask where the king is born. And what we would call the Bible scholars and the seminary professors say, well, if the Magi is born, he's born in Bethlehem. And yet they stay in Jerusalem. They don't go up and see this new king. It's the Magi who go. They're the outsiders. They should have no idea that this king is born. And yet somehow God has revealed to them in the sign of a star that this is the king of the Jews. The great irony is that the people who God had given the Old Testament, who studied the scriptures, did not go, but the Magi did go, the ones who studied the stars. And the great joy, the, the great thing for us to learn from this day of Epiphany was not that it was a one-time thing, that it was not a one-time thing that the Magi, that God showed the sign of a star to the Magi and they came to worship the king. And that's a really good thing because the Magi found Jesus, they worshiped him, they gave him gifts, and they departed another way and we never heard from them again. But throughout Matthew's account of Jesus, we see this ongoing epiphany this ongoing work of God to reveal himself to the world. Later in the book of Matthew, Peter would proclaim Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus would say, Blessed are you, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. 
And again in Matthew, Jesus would say, I thank you, Father in heaven, for you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you have revealed them to little children. It is a great joy that there is an ongoing epiphany, an ongoing revelation where God works through unexpected ways and through unexpected people to reveal himself to the world. Do you know what this story means for us today? In the recent past, Christians have often uh, debated, how can we get people like the Magi to come to church? How can we get complete outsiders, people who had have no business with the church, to come here? And, you know, I haven't personally experienced the fiery debates that I've heard of, but I've heard that there is often a big contention over what we should do in worship to attract people to come and worship Jesus too. And even in my seminary classes, we, we've talked about what is worship and, and how should we use it. And we need to be honest about one thing. It's that the same repetitive liturgies, the same songs we've heard for hundreds, sung for hundreds of years, and the same patterns of, of worship are boring unless you're expecting to God, expecting God to do something unexpected. That worship is where God promises to show up and do something unexpected. That in worship is where God comes to meet us. That no matter what kind of music we sing, unless worship is boring, unless you are coming to worship God with your whole heart and expecting him to do something unexpected. Now, God works through unexpected ways and through unexpected people. And maybe you're expecting something grand and magnificent. That all of a sudden the lights will go out, the curtain will drop, and then poof, whoa. But what's more unexpected than this plain bread and wine? That in communion, God will do something unexpected. That communion is instituted by Jesus and given his promise that in, with, and under this bread and wine is his true presence of his body and blood for your forgiveness. What's more unexpected than just simple water and the powerful word of God to bring life, salvation, and freedom in baptism? And you, think, you might think, well, how can you be sure? It's just bread and wine and water. But just like how the Magi's quest to find Jesus was not based on their, the power of their intellect, so too these things are not based on your intellect, but based on the power of God's word. What more unexpected way to just use a regular man standing in this pulpit to speak God's very words to you in this time and in this place. But are you expecting God to work in the ways through the person sitting next to you, through the person you talk to on the way in or out of church? Are you expecting God to work through those conversations that you have when you listen to others, when you talk with others, when you laugh with those who laugh, and you mourn with those who are mourning? One of the unexpected ways that God works is through the very conversations of the believers. And 
And the, the, the thing about this is that it's the ongoing epiphany of God. That, that when you come to worship, are you expecting God to do the unexpected? Are you expecting the possibility that God might work through these ways to touch your heart? That in worship, God might touch your heart and awaken it to a life of freedom, a life of joy, a life of sacrifice, and a life of renewal. In worship is where God promises to show up, where he promises to work on your heart, to touch your heart and make it more like his. Just like how God works in unexpected ways, like his word and through his sacraments of holy communion and baptism, God also works through unexpected people. You see, the simple truth about this day of Epiphany, when we, we celebrate when the Magi found Jesus, is that the Magi would not have been there unless God had brought them there. And the same is true for us today, that you would not be here unless God had brought you here. You've heard the, you've seen the bumper sticker that says, wise men still seek him. And I've already talked about their wisdom. But the simple truth is that God is continually working through his ways and through his people to seek out you. Uh, One pastor once put it that Jesus certainly says, behold, I will stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears me, they will open the door and I will come into him. But as soon as, you, as soon as he comes in, you look up and see above the door it's written, you did not choose me, I chose you. For God is continually working through his ways, continually working through this ongoing epiphany, this ongoing revelation of himself to ignite faith, to call others, more and more people to him, and to awaken hearts in every generation. One last thing this morning. God's will is for all people to be saved, but not everyone is in here this morning. Well, just as God uses uh, ordinary things to work in special and unexpected ways in worship, some people have, have got this misconception that God only works in special ways and only through special people and only in special places. That God, but one last unexpected way that God is working is through ordinary people in ordinary times. That God is working through you out in your works and, and in your neighborhood and in your homes to awaken, to, to reveal himself to others, to call more people to come and worship him. And so how do we do this? Well, there's two things. First, in how you act, and second, in what you say. And in, in first, in how you act, to be humble and bold. Humble in the very fact that you would not be here unless God, or that if God had not found you, I would be lost. And bold, the very fact that God has found me, and he's calling you too, and he's seeking out you too. And second is in what you say. When someone asks you, why do you worship Jesus? Why do you go to church? Why bother with all this Christianity thing? Don't give them a a, a half-truth of, well, it's just the right thing to do. Or it, it seems like it's the best way to live. Well, 
give them the real answer. That God's love is for all people, even the most unlikely. Will you come and worship him too? And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.